0: everyone is looking for purpose for a life that matters and we want to be a church that helps people find that this is the collective church podcast from a life-giving and vibrant new church right here in london ontario here's this past week's message from our pastor tyler from Well, good morning and welcome to Collective Church. My name is Tyler. I'm one of the lead pastors. I have the privilege of leading alongside of my wife, Lee. We're glad that you are with us, whether you're in the room or you're engaging online. This is a significant Sunday. For those of us who would call ourselves followers of Jesus or apprentices of Jesus or Christians, this Sunday, this weekend is incredibly significant. In fact, it is the most significant time of the year for us. And if you're in the room or you're engaging online and you're curious or skeptical or hesitant or wondering, we're glad that you are with us. You picked a great Sunday to be here. It is a significant weekend that we want to remind ourselves as Christians why. Why is Easter so significant? This week... So Lee and I have two kids, Ava and Parker, and this week, we willingly broke their hearts. We purposefully broke their hearts. I know some of you are going, wow, I should not have come here. Clearly, he's a bad parent. I don't want to listen to anything he has to say. We sat with our kids in the bathroom while one was having a bath and the other was doing other things and told them the Easter bunny wasn't real. Now, if you're in the room and that is news to you, I'm sorry. Turn to the person beside you, and whatever they say is the truth, that's what you can go with. Now, why did we do that? Why did we do that with our kids? It's not like some sense of superiority, like we have evolved beyond the Easter Bunny. We are so spiritual that we do not even speak of the Easter Bunny. It wasn't like we were trying to harm our kids. Why? I don't know if you've noticed it, but when it comes to Easter and it comes to Christmas, it's really easy to fixate and focus on all the other things, especially in a culture that is so distracted. Like, it is so hard for us. Do you ever notice you just feel like phantom vibrations on your phone in moments that are significant? You're like, did something happen? Like, we're distracted all the time. And so for us with our kids, we're going, what does it look like for us to just to be honest with them and to focus their attention on what matters? The only problem with that is it opened up a can of worms like Lee afterwards is like so are we going all the way with this like are we telling them everything and I'm like I don't know I don't have the answers for that as we're looking at their faces and Parker goes Parker goes I know I know the Easter bunny's not real but I still believe in him and we're like hey well whatever that's <laughs> We're like but you know the truth right He's like yes but I'm choosing to believe something different We want to spend some time together focusing on what matters because it, it is it is easy for us to get distracted. Like, there are so many great things about Easter that aren't connected to Jesus. Like, chocolate bunnies, wonderful, especially the good ones. You know the ones that are chocolate product? You don't want that. Like, the, the like, chocolate type. And you're like, no, but those, like, lint. Have you ever had those? Those lint chocolate bars? I may have eaten half of my children's while they were sleeping. I, I don't know. It was someone. Or it was the Easter bunny. I don't know. But, There's lots of things, like even for me, I I love food, and I think, okay, Easter, ham, scallop potatoes, like those are all wonderful things, and if we're not careful, all the things that go with Easter become the center of our focus, and we miss Jesus. And at Collective Church, we're unapologetically Jesus people. We're a Jesus church. In fact, we say it like this, we exist to make it all about people seeing Jesus, that's the center of everything that we do, everything through the lens of Jesus. And, and if you're here, whether you're in the room or online, and you've never made the decision to surrender your life to Jesus, maybe today is the day. We want to give you an opportunity to respond. We want to tell you about what Jesus has done and, and what that means for you. Or maybe you're in the room and you've been a Christian for a long period of time. Maybe you've been disconnected from church or maybe there's been things going on and you recognize, okay, my faith isn't nearly as passionate as it used to be. Like I'm kind of just floating through and coexisting. Maybe this weekend, this moment could be a catalyst for you, breathing new life and bringing fire in those embers that exist, bringing life into that and stoking something in you. Our deepest desire as a church, and for Lee and I, our deepest desires as people who get to be part of leading here, is that people would, would meaningfully experience Jesus. That they would experience a deep transformative relationship that changes every single area of their life. Not superficial, not just showing up, but instead transformation, change in their lives. We want to experience The kind of faith that looks like surrender and ongoing surrender in every single area to Jesus. And the central theme of this central weekend, the very focus of Easter is the theme that we've been singing about, that the videos talk about. It is resurrection. And I want to spend some time exploring that resurrection together. But before we do, let's pray. God, I pray that in these moments that you would be the one that speaks. I know that each one of us has things that we bring into this room or into this time that maybe we had a rough week or a rough month or we look at the last few years and it's just been a hard one for us. God, you see each of us. You see our pain. You see our triumphs. You see our joy. You see all of it. God, I pray that you would speak through the noise. Whatever is going on internally in our minds, that your voice would speak. God, I don't want it just to be an exchange of information, a nice moment together. Instead, we want it to be an invitation for you to show up again. God, you show us through Jesus that you bring life from death. Do it again. Do it again in each of our lives where we see death, where we see challenge, where we see trial. Would you remind us that you are in control? God, we need you. We love you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, so I'm I'm aware that that there's a, a variety of different experiences or um, understandings of the Bible. Like for some of us, we can quote scripture. We can um, we can read every single. We can list off all the books of the Bible, and and for some of us, you go. This Bible can be incredibly intimidating. Like when Lee first came to faith and followed Jesus, she started at the very beginning. And if you've started at the beginning of the Bible, there are some parts where it gets hard, where you're like, okay, so I understand that there's 473 names. What do I do with that? And so I want to just let you know the Bible is split up into two parts. So this is the Old Testament, and this is the New Testament. What splits this is the life of Jesus. It splits all of history, and it splits the Bible, And in the New Testament, we find four different accounts of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We call them gospels, four different perspectives, all pointing in the same direction, that is, to the person of Jesus. And what's really interesting is that at the time later in Jesus's life, and as the church is beginning to develop, we see another character come onto the scene. His name is Paul. And Paul is incredibly interesting because Paul moves from being someone that persecutes the church, that actively drags people or oversees dragging people out of their homes to be murdered for their faith. He goes from that to being the very, one of the most significant catalysts of the church. In fact, if you look at this New Testament, much of it are letters that Paul wrote to the churches that he started. You have someone that goes from being a persecutor to being one of the most significant voices for us as the church. And so those four accounts that I mentioned, the Gospels, they tell the story of Jesus and they tell the story of Easter. But I want to look at one of the letters that Paul wrote that re-emphasizes Easter. He actually wrote this letter to a church in Corinth, and we call it 1 Corinthians. And so I want to read from 1 Corinthians 15 3 to 5, it says this, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. So Jesus lived his life. He spent three years on the earth investing specifically in these 12 guys. We call them disciples. And at this point, at the point of crucifixion, when Jesus goes up on the cross, the disciples are a mess. And frankly, pretty much that entire time of the three years, they've been a mess. Like there aren't a lot of moments that you go, wow. And it's an interesting thing, and it reframes our view of success, because you can imagine what it would be like to invest three years in people and wonder, is this making any difference? Like, they are a complete gong show. And beyond the 12 that are with Jesus closely, there are 72 men and women that have followed Jesus closely through his ministry. And so Jesus is looking at this group of people... And almost all of them at his crucifixion deserted him. And so you sit and wonder, was all of this wasted, all of the time and effort that we put in? On Good Friday, a day that would have been anything but good for Jesus' followers, Jesus was condemned to death on a cross. He was hung up on a cross. He was nailed, his hands and his feet. And they had perfected it where On the cross, it was a horrible way to die because you'd have to pull yourself up to take a breath and then relax yourself back down. And so Jesus, on that cross, suffocated and died. The Jewish people, were, which Jesus was part of, were, were not on their own governing themselves. They were, an occupi- they were occupied by another force. The Romans actually occupied the Jewish people. And the Romans were, were responsible for all the punishment. In fact, the Romans were masters at it. They were incredibly good at how close we can get someone to death, how long can we drag it out, and how do we kill people in the most agonizing way Possible Crucifixion was one of these. And so in this moment that Jesus dies up on the cross, this is a hopeful moment for them. They're like, we did it. We crushed this movement, this way of Jesus. We crushed it before it could ever turn into something finally. And everything that they're looking at around them, they're people that have deserted. They're going, okay, we have done it. Jesus was dead. And all of his followers, or most of his followers, had deserted him and left him. His disciples, the 12 who knew him best, were nowhere to be found. And if you looked at this moment in isolation, Jesus had failed. All the work that he had put in, it had been for nothing. He was another movement leader who proved himself to be a fraud and died, and that was it he looked at the disciples who had all left him, he thought, that is it. But this is not the end. And this is but a snapshot of what we see in these men, these 12 men that followed Jesus. Because what we actually see is later on, after Jesus had rose from the dead, that they are different people. That there's something significant that happened. Peter specifically, one of the disciples, his name is Peter, he denied Jesus three times, flat out. It wasn't like one of those things where it's like, don't tell anyone I'm a Christian. When people asked him, he was like, I do not follow Jesus. I don't even know him. I want nothing to do with him. I denied Jesus. Peter goes from a guy that denies Jesus three times to then being a guy that stands in front of the Jewish religious leaders, the people with all the power, and says, I can't help but tell everyone about Jesus. In fact, later in his life, Peter is martyred. He's killed for his faith. How does that happen? How do you have someone that goes from denying Jesus to then being willing to die and following through with it? The reason that that happened, and with all the, the other disciples, is because they Saw Jesus resurrected. This was not just an idea for them. It was not a plan that they had that was secretive. They believed he was dead. They saw that he was dead. He was in that tomb and he was dead. He was in a cave and yet after they saw that he was alive and it changed everything for them. He was dead, and now he was alive, and they saw it, and everything clicked, and everything started to make sense, and suddenly all the pieces that did not seem to fit together, in a moment they went, he is who he said he was. I want you to know that all of Christianity centers around the resurrection, that if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we would not have had the movement move out of even the first century. And yet there are billions of people around the world that have declared, I am giving my life to Jesus. And in fact, right now, there are people in places like the Middle East or in areas of China or around the world that aren't just saying, I'm giving my life to Jesus, that are willingly laying down their life for him because they have experienced Jesus who is resurrected, Jesus who is alive. And Paul is putting the resurrection at the very center, the frame of mind in this letter to the church in Corinth. He's making sure that that they and we, 2,000 years later, understand this is important. Don't miss this. Focus on what matters. He says, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins just just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. This is what is most important. Jesus died for our sins just as the scripture said. And the reminder for us is that God was not operating in a, oh no, he's dead now, what am I going to do? God had been working over time, a divine plan through hundreds and thousands of years, operating so that this moment could happen the way that it did. God was at work. And I know for us in 2022, we have such a short attention span and we want quick results. And I wanna just remind you that God is, Faithful over the long haul. And so he moves and Jesus comes and sacrifices his life. Jesus was buried and then he rose again three days later. But for three days, the disciples and everyone who had followed him is going, is that it? He's, he's dead. That's, that's the end. All of this movement that we had, all, this, all this time that we invested, I guess, that is it. And you have to understand that the Romans at the time who crucified Jesus were masters of death. And so this was not like some trick. It wasn't like, surprise, he actually wasn't dead. He was dead. He was in a tomb, dead, lifeless body in this cave. This this moment where everything seemed to be lost. But then he rose again. And, And Paul tells us he was seen by Peter, one of the guys that denied him. That flat out denied him. He was seen by the twelve. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. So this is Paul speaking, and he's, and he's saying it wasn't, just that, it wasn't just that Jesus was seen by Peter. It wasn't just that he was seen by his disciples. He was seen by over 500 people. Think about the implications of this. And Paul is also telling us those 500 people aren't names that we just added together and just gave a bunch of Jewish names. These are people, many of which who are still alive, who can attest to seeing him in body. Jesus was alive. Think about the implications of 500 different people seeing the same thing. You play a game of telephone and things get all out of whack. Have you ever tried to get 10 people to say the same thing? Like, it just, it's not how we're wired. We definitely, we kind of operate our own or hear things differently. 500 people united, all aligned and saying, we saw the same thing. Jesus was alive. 500 of his followers. And we actually know that from other accounts that are not Christian accounts, historically, people who were not Christians, who were Romans, who were Jewish people, saw Jesus alive and could not make sense of it. The resurrection was a historical reality witnessed by over 500 people. And as Christians, we are people that live in light of the resurrection. Paul continues in this letter to the Corinthians, and he, he quotes a, a scripture in the Old Testament and sa- that says, "Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh death, where is your sting? Oh death, er, Oh death, Where is your victory? Oh death, Where is your sting?" He's speaking to a prophecy that was given in the Old Testament that spoke of Jesus some seven or eight hundred years before him. And Paul continues and give us, gives us context for that verse. In 1 Corinthians 15, 56 to 58, he says, For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. As Christians, for those of us that would call ourselves Christians, we believe that sin is destructive. That sin results in death. And sin is anything that does not fit God's best for our life. Any places that we don't measure up to his perfection and his plans for us. But the ultimate sin is that we believe as human beings that somehow we can save ourselves. The ultimate sin is that we take the place of God and go, I'll take it from here. That is the ultimate disconnection and sin. We think that we can be our own savior, rescuing ourselves from the pain and the harm and the challenges of our lives. But we're not understanding how flawed that is. How can humanity be the source of our problems and also somehow the solution? I mean, any of us that have navigated relationships through COVID, we see how challenging people are. If you look at your life, many of the problems in your life are connected to people, you or others. How can humanity be the source of our problems and somehow our solutions? How can sinners be the source of our problems and yet sinners somehow the solution? They can't. If sin is the problem, sinners can't be the solution. And and Paul says, for sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. What is the law? What is he speaking about? The law is God's design for life as it should be. And what the law does is it reveals our tendency to rebel, our tendency to do it our own way. What it really does is exposes our desire to try to tell God what right or wrong is, to redefine good and evil according to what we think, not what God says. And since the very beginning of humanity, that has been our process. God will let you know what's good or not good. But if God is able to be controlled, he is not God. And if God can be put in a box, he is not God. And so here's the problem that humanity has. We think we know best, and it's killing us. We think we have this sense of progress. I mean, this is the message we hear all the time. We're really advancing as as humans. It's 2022. Look at us. We're moving towards some sense of utopia. We're getting better and better and better and more and more advanced. And the problem is, if all of that is true, we're getting more advanced because humanity is taking it from here. Why is it that we have higher rates of mental health issues than we've ever had before? We have lower rates of contentment in our life than ever before. That we are in this place where we are more tribal. We're more, it's so easy for us to go, you're the other, and to create our own little group that we go, we're okay here, but you. We, we are not, we're less compassionate. Like we do not see this world marked by compassion. Instead, we see this world marked by, by me versus you. What about technology? We're more connected than ever before, and yet most research says that hardly anyone has many meaningful relationships. So we're more connected and yet less meaningfully connected than ever before. If you talk to people that are younger, they don't necessarily even know to have a face-to-face conversation with people. We're missing out on the very things that we're searching for. We have more information. We have more information now than ever in the history of humanity. And yet... You know what all of the research tells us? It tells us that people are still wondering, what is the meaning of it? What is my purpose? Why am I here? And so all the information, all the progress, all the things that humanity has offered, and it is not enough. It is not offering us the hope that we are looking for. This system that we are taking control of is not working. And left to our own devices, we move towards destruction. But there is hope. And his name is Jesus. And in verse 57, Paul reminds us, and he says, But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our hope is not in humanity. Our hope is in the resurrected Savior. It's in resurrected Jesus. And through his resurrection, we have victory over sin and over death. We have victory. That is what we as Christians get to live in. Victory over the things that we think are the ultimate, that have the ultimate say. And Jesus' say is above that. And this is a miracle. The reality of the resurrection is a miracle. Miracle, But I want to remind us, regardless of where you are in terms of your experience with Jesus, until we give up the lie of thinking that we can somehow save ourselves, we do not experience victory. If we think that we can somehow be our own savior, we'll find ourselves trying to make all of our life in our own image and miss out on God. C.S. Lewis, a famous author, said this, this principle Runs through all life from top to bottom. Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day and death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will ever really be yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him and with him everything else thrown in. C.S. Lewis wrote this in I think the 60s or the 50s and yet we find so much of this speaking true to us today, left to our own devices, the kind of world that we build. But if we put our life in if we surrender our life to Jesus, what we experience. This whole resurrection, though, necessitates death. Like it necessitates us actually dying to ourselves and surrendering our way of life and giving it over and saying, I want something else. I want something new. We can't experience resurrection without surrendering our lives. It's really interesting. If you look at the patterns of history, we've come out of this environment and it's called postmodernity, but it's this. This post-rational thinking, like we can explain everything, we understand everything. And so there were predictions that as we moved in that direction, that people would be less and less inclined towards spiritual things, supernatural things, that we would evolve beyond it, that we would understand that we are the center of our world. The problem is that hasn't actually been the case People are incredibly interested in spiritual things. They draw, they, they draw from other things, and they understand that it's not, there's more than what we see. Like, think about it. You talk to people, and maybe this is you, where you go, um, the universe is speaking to me. The universe brought something into my life. The universe is open. We're okay with that. We're, we struggle a little bit with the idea that God is personal. And we're like, okay, the universe. We hear people who are not Christians say that all the time. And I would suggest to you, and if that's you, I would suggest that that it is not the universe speaking to you. That the God who created the universe is trying to break into your moment and speak directly to you and remind you of who you are and who he is. That that intrinsic part is in us. That people are searching for something more. And it will always only be found in God through Jesus. I want to remind you that in that moment, see, when we talk about the universe, it's this non-personal distant thing. And what the resurrection does through Easter is reminds us that God is not distant. He came close. He descended from heaven and Jesus came and gave his life for us. And this is in contrast to all of the religions. Because the other religions go, if you just do a little bit more, try, you can achieve nirvana, you can achieve transformation on your own, just do, 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 and then maybe, maybe you'll measure up, maybe you'll get enough, maybe you'll restore something, maybe. But the Christian faith says, no, you can't. So in your weakness, God had to come to us and make a way. And we don't come to him and go, if I've, have I done enough for you to give your life? He goes, I'm going to give my life to you. Surrender your life to me and experience this gift of salvation. He gave his life on the cross so that you would rose. So that, and, and he rose again. And he's inviting us as Christians and those of us that, that know this is the reality to lay down our lives and let him give us a new life. The resurrection of Jesus promises restoration. See, we give up everything, or so we think. I'm giving up everything to follow you. But when we give up everything, we receive Jesus and so much more. More than we could ever give and more than we could understand. All of us are longing for more. All of us have this profound sense in us that there is something more. And Jesus' Jesus's resurrection offers that and more. And all the other promises that were sold, they fall flat in the face of Jesus. Like, think about it. If Jesus can conquer death, then nothing is too difficult. None of the stresses you have in your life, none of the worries, none of the concerns, none of it is too difficult for him. God does not look at your scenario and go, wow, that is too hard for me. He proved when he conquered death that he is able this is the hope that we have as Christians. And for those of us that would call ourselves Jesus followers, this next verse is incredibly significant. It says So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Be strong. This is the invitation for those of us that are Christians be strong, immovable. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Plant your feet on his foundation. Put your focus on what matters. Put your hope again in him. Live in light of this resurrection reality. And reject the lie that it's Jesus plus other things. It's a little bit of Jesus sprinkled on your life, but basically you get to live however you want to live. It is always, only Jesus that is why we can be strong and immovable. And then he's saying, Work enthusiastically, because nothing that you do for Jesus is wasted. Please don't settle for less. We have been created with glorious and heavenly purpose. But our tendency as humanity is to settle for something lesser. The cost is significant. The outcome is significant. But we shrink back and we find ourselves believing the lie instead of the truth. N.T. Wright says it like this. Made for spirituality, we wallow in introspection. Made for joy, we settle for pleasure. Made for justice, we clamor for vengeance. Made for relationship, we insist on our own way. Made for beauty, we are satisfied with sentiment. But new creation has already begun. The sun has begun to rise. Christians are called to leave behind in the tomb of Jesus Christ all that belongs to the brokenness and incompleteness of the present world. This is our invitation, and this is why the resurrection matters. But if you're in the room right now or you're online and you've never made the decision to follow Jesus, we want to give you an opportunity to do so. See, the reality is that our sin, our brokenness, separates us from God. And the very relationship that we will spend our whole life searching for, that we will try to, try to fill the hole in our lives, if we make enough money, buy enough stuff, it'll somehow make us feel like we are enough, it will never be satisfied outside of a relationship with the one who created you, the creator of the universe. But we could not somehow restore that relationship that was broken. God is perfect. We are not. And so our sin separates us. But God was not content to leave us there. God made a way for us. He sent his son to live a perfect life and then to die on the cross, taking on the punishment for all of our sin and brokenness. But it did not just end there. He rose again three days later to conquer death for good so that when we put our faith in him that we experience life and life to the full. And we have, we have salvation. We are saved, not just for future, but for now. We get to live a new way. And so if you're in the room or you're engaging online and you go, I know I need to make that decision to take a step towards following Jesus... I want to encourage you to take the moment to do it. I want to remind you that God sent his son for you on your worst day, on the day that you felt the least deserving of it. He made a way for you because he loves you so much more than you could ever imagine. And he invites you to live a different kind of life. For those of us who are Jesus followers, We get in this moment in this weekend to focus our eyes on what matters. And we get to do an inventory of going, if this is who Jesus is, if this is what he's done, if this is the center of our faith and what I believe, does my life reflect it? Does my life actually look like one that lives in victory over sin and death? Do I look different or do I look kind of like everybody else? Do I serve a resurrected king who is resurrecting me and in every single area of my life is changing my life and I can't help but be close to him and I can't help but surrender every bit of me to him? Does my life look like that? And am I helping others to experience the same? We cannot come face to face with a resurrected king. We cannot come face to face with Jesus who conquered death and remain the same. We cannot settle for less. We cannot buy into the lies. We instead fix our eyes on the truth of our hope, and his name is Jesus. I want to invite you to stand. We want to respond to all that Jesus has done in the resurrection in worship. And before we do, I want to pray for us. God, we are so grateful that you gave your son for us when we didn't deserve it to restore us back to you. God, we need you. Help us to see every single area in your life where we've settled for something less. God, help us to live as resurrection people. Help us to confront the lies that the world tells us that the way that things should be and instead to follow your way, Jesus. We want you. God, change us, move us. Dazzle us again with this gift that you gave us. Move us again in this reality that you conquered death for us and for our friends and our neighbors and our family. God, change us. Use us. We worship you. In Jesus' name. If you'd like more information on Collective Church, find us on social media at This Is Collective Church or reach us on our website, collectivechurch.ca. Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you Sunday.